with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Father, we are grateful to assemble this morning. Many of us have come from many different places to be assembled in this room today. And we are grateful, Lord, for, as was preached last night, the intersections in life. And we can look back, and many of us look around this room this morning and realize that our connections were really God's divine appointments. And even this morning, Lord, is your divine appointment. Lord, help us today to not neglect our responsibility to hear what your Holy Spirit will say to us today. May we, for a few moments, Father, be just as open-hearted as we possibly can. And may you speak, may we hear, and then, Father, may we be transformed again by your glorious power to fulfill the purpose you've designed for our life. So I pray for your help and guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. Recalibrate. Recalibration 2024 as the theme of the conference. And although I, I typically am really bad at being obedient to themes of uh, conferences, typically wherever they go, I, I mean, God obviously has to be in control of everything we say and speak. Um, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit this morning um, about the concept of calibrate or recalibrate. I did not know that typically in, in the industrial world, they don't usually say recalibrate. They normally say calibrate, which means the same thing to me as recalibrate. Um, to calibrate something means to correlate the readings of, say, an instrument with those of a standard in order to check the instrument's accuracy. Um, we rely, our generation, we are dumber than a box of rocks. We rely on all kinds of other things to tell us what we're doing. Most of us can no longer look up in the sky and tell north, south, east, and west. We have no idea how to do it. All right? We have little devices all the time that tell us um, directions. So we, we rely on all these instruments that we're forever using to be accurate. It was not too long ago, because um, I travel quite a lot, that my GPS went bonkers. So I'm traveling thousands of miles or hundreds of miles on this trip somewhere, and my, my GPS was not accurate. It was telling me that I was in the middle of a field, and it kept telling me to go back to the road, go back to the highway, and I was where I was supposed to be, but my, for some reason, the, there was something not working correct in the instruments. And I thought, boy, if all of these electronic things that we rely on suddenly go down one day, can you imagine the chaos? People don't even know how to go shopping anymore. It just shows up at their doorstep. If they had to go find an item at a grocery store in an aisle somewhere, you know, half the people wouldn't know how to do it. We rely on these things. So the idea of recalibrate is to make small 
changes to an instrument so it measures correctly. So when we recalibrate something, we are making a small change to an instrument so that it will keep giving us correct readings. Um, I won't read this stuff to you, but I, did a little, I just did a little search on how many things need to be recalibrated. Like, I mean, this idea of calibrating things, um, how many different things have to be recalibrated, and I was shocked to find out just about everything. Um, it was not too long ago that I learned when, when tightening your lug nuts on your wheels that there's a little special lug nut tightener. What's it called? A torque wrench. And you, that way you're supposed to go click, click, click. Right? Look, I have been uh, on the Fiji Islands as a missionary since I was 19. We don't have those type of things over there. What you do is you tighten it as much as you can, and then you get your foot, and you do three clicks with your foot, and then that's tight enough. I just found out that torque wrenches have to be recalibrated because you rely on torque wrenches, and I guess um, more important machinery being off could be a, have a serious implication, but even a torque wrench has to be recalibrated. In the medical industry, they have all kinds of instruments that are measuring things and taking readings of things, and then you put those things together, and if you get some of that stuff wrong, like people die. Almost everything has to be recalibrated. A pilot in Kenya wrote this. He said, when I was flying in Kenya, we would recalibrate the compass in the GPS of our aircraft once a month. Every airport has what is called the compass rose, which has markings for north, south, east, and west. To calibrate the compass, you would maneuver the plane along the line for north and adjust your compass for north, and do the same thing for south, east, and west. This process would be repeated a couple of times for greater accuracy. The compass needed to be recalibrated regularly because the stress of flying and hard landings, of which I had my share, can jar the compass, causing the reading to be slightly off. If the compass is off one half a degree, you will be off course 45 feet for every mile you fly. Between Kuwait and Dubai, you would miss the airport by four miles. On a flight from Kuwait to Washington, D.C., you would be off by 56 miles. That's if your compass was off just a half of one degree. So I didn't know that. Did you know that compasses have to be recalibrated? They have to be reset. Um, not too long ago, I was driving in a car for the very first time that was trying to adjust my driving. I was in a rental car, and it had one of those um, ADAS, Advanced Driver Assisted Systems. So you know, it kind of sees where the line is on that side, where the line is on that side, had cruise control going, and it thought I was getting too close to a car in front of me. It automatically slowed my cruise control down. Irritated me a little bit from time to time because I have different driving style than the ADAS does. Research by the National Safety Council says that ADAS has the power to reduce, the potential to reduce 62% of deaths every year 
by that are that are your average killed on roads. So they believe that the ADAS can save about 26,000 lives a year. That's how much we don't pay attention. The integral component to an ADAS is the sensor system. To do their jobs, ADAS relies on inputs from radar, camera, and ultrasonic sensors to detect vehicles, pedestrians, and other objects around the automobile. The suite of sensors communicates to a computer processor which integrates all the data and makes real-time decisions to warn the driver or even to take action to avoid a collision. If the sensors cannot accurately access the environment surrounding the vehicle, they are useless or dangerous. So to ensure accuracy, ADAS sensors must be properly calibrated. If a sensor's position is disturbed in any way, whether by a minor fender bender or when a vehicle is lifted for maintenance on the undercarriage, the sensor must be recalibrated. One lady had a Prius with ADAS that had been in a fender bender. Once the fender was replaced, I'm still wondering why she was in a fender bender with that ADAS system, but regardless, we'll leave that out. Once the fender was replaced, the sensor in the bumper had been tipped up two degrees. When approaching a bridge 80 feet away, the sensor would misread the upcoming bridge as a car and consequently apply the brakes. So this person's car would always slow and stop automatically when approaching a bridge. And that's because the sensor was off by two degrees. The IIHS recently conducted a study where they intentionally miscalibrated the front camera. When the front camera was off by just 0.6 degrees to the right, a tiny fraction, the car misperceived the lines on the road by about two feet on either side. This small deviation caused the vehicle's auto braking to fail spectacularly when they tested it, causing the car to smash into an obstacle at 32 kilometers per hour. What would have happened if the camera was misaligned by one degree or three degrees? Now you could, of course, we could talk all day long about the types of things that have to be recalibrated, um, readjusted in order to stay functioning, to measure right, to stay on course right. If you're a hunter, um, I learned not too long ago um, that just because you have a scope on the top of your gun doesn't mean it's aiming accurately. And so they'll sight, they'll, what do you call it, sight in your sights? Is it sighting it in? Basically, you're, you're getting it back, and once you've done that and you're accurate, it's not a one and done. Because after you fire the gun a number of times, throw it in the back of your truck, put it away, the sights get off, and so you have to re-sight it in all the time. Um, last summer, I was in Wisconsin, uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, at the... Um, um, it was an aviation camp, Wings of Zingles aviation camp, and I got a chance to fly uh, for the first time. I got clocked four hours of flying with my good friend Chris Holiday, and I, I, it was absolutely nerve-wracking because there were a whole lot of things that didn't stay where I wanted them to stay, like my altitude, right, or my, my heading, 
And so I was forever looking at those six different little instrument panels so I could watch my speed and I could watch my altitude, watch my pitch, watch everything. And you know what I did in my, in my four hours of flying? I was just forever doing these little slight adjustments like I couldn't just get where I wanted to go and keep going in that direction. It would just veer off just a little bit, go down a little bit. And like, I wanted to enjoy the scenery from up there. So once I was kind of like where I was going and everything was fine, I was just, you know, looking over at that beautiful thing over there. And I, I dropped 800 feet and I was like two degrees off and going in the wrong direction. Like, brother, where are you going? And I'm like, oh my goodness, and I'm trying to get on again. You may not know it, but when you drive a vehicle, you're always making adjustments, always. You're always just adjusting um, for what you're doing. Everything that measures or responds to inputs needs to be recalibrated over time, from scales to thermometers to compasses, scopes and guns, pressure gauges, clocks, engines, brakes, wheel alignment, on and on and on. I want you to think about wheel alignment. When do you realize that your alignment is out in a vehicle. Right, we notice it by the time we go down a road and we're like fighting the steering wheel to keep it on the road, right? But you know that it, the wheel alignment was already going out before you noticed it. Now, you didn't notice it. I mean, if, if you're like me, and I don't know many that would be, I don't, I don't like to like check the oil, right? And even when we change the oil, I'm like, it's still clean. I looked at it. You just, these people say every 3,000 miles, change it. You know, you know when I'm ready to change something? When something's about to explode or, you know, I'm like, okay, we need to take care of this now. This is serious. And that's why I'm a good crisis manager. I handle things well in crisis mode. But then there's these guys that never have crisis because they do like regular maintenance of things at the set schedule before it feels wrong. You see, things are usually quite a ways off track before it comes to your attention and before you notice it. Recalibrate. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 14, Paul writes to Timothy and he says to him, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. So Timothy had a gift that was in him. Paul talks about it was given to him by prophecy, by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Evidently, Paul, uh, Timothy was prepared by God and called by God, and that gift was recognized, and he was ordained in commission as a wonderful missionary as part of Paul's team. And there were several reasons um, that those particular giftings were in him. We read about a mother and a grandmother, right? Paul talks later about his grandmother and his mother that had this faith that was in Timothy, and it was in Timothy partially because he had a mother and a grandmother that gave him holy scriptures. And Paul will say um, later on that the scriptures are able to make him wise unto salvation. So all of these things are in Paul, are in Timothy, sorry, and yet, he says to Timothy, basically, you cannot take for granted that the gift that is in you doesn't need some kind of regular attention or maintenance. Don't just rely on the fact that the gift 
is in you, make sure that you are not neglecting the gift. What happens to a car that's neglected? What happens to an instrument that's neglected? What happens to things if they're not maintained regularly? Eventually, they will begin to fail you. Neglect means, to neglect something means simply don't pay attention to it. Don't notice it. Don't give attention to it. Let it deteriorate over time by simply not giving the proper attention. Paul will say again to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 6, he will say, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So in chapter 4 verse 14 of 1 Timothy, he says, Neglect not the gift given by the laying on of my hands. In 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, Stir up the gift that is in thee by the laying on of my hands. So two commandments. Don't neglect it and stir it up. The word stir up, interestingly, is from the Greek word which means to rekindle. It has the idea of a fire that is burning that is slowly burning out. As a kid, we would go camping. My, my grandmother... Uh, my grandfather, they loved camping. So all Memorial Days and Labor Days and summers, grandma and grandpa were always camping somewhere. And my grandma loved campfires. And she especially loved to poke the fire. That was her main job. And so we'd sit at the fire and she'd have a long poking stick. And she was just always poking it and always stirring it up. And the reason she did it, other than she just liked it, is that eventually every fire will go out. And sometimes, if, if even though you have wood there, and even, even though that fire is burning and there's enough wood, it kind of burns up in one area, and it goes down to the coals, and it's not touching. So you have to get in there, you have to poke it, and you have to stir it up. And what happens when you stir it up? That, those, it rekindles. That fire gets rekindled. So to stir it up means to make sure that your activity... Makes, makes it that it doesn't go out. All campfires eventually burn up simply by neglect. You don't have to try to put out a fire unless it's fire season. But typically a fire needs no help to go out. Just leave it alone. Don't stir it up. Neglect it. And eventually it will burn out. Timothy, there is in you a great faith. It began with your grandmother. It continued with your mother. You have a gift that came from the laying on of my hands. But if you neglect it, it will burn out. Stir it up. Or we could talk about recalibrate it. Now look at 2 Peter chapter 1, please. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Peter says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Second Peter 1, 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent 
to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them. That's pretty interesting. Why in the world do I have to be reminded of the things that I already know? And be established in this present truth. So the present truth is something that you will only stay established in if you are remembering those things. You must be reminded of things that you already know. Most of the time, we're not getting off course by things we don't know. We're often getting off course because the things that we do know, haven't, they've been neglected. They haven't been stirred up. They haven't been remembered. And so we get off course. Peter said, yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So there are things that God said we must be put in remembrance. Essentially, the things that we already know, we already understand them to be true. We, we need to be reminded and we have to put it back in remembrance because if we neglect it for a while, just, just through neglect, through not paying attention, we start to get off course. And every single person in this room who is a believer has found yourself at some point just off course in one way or another. Your, your, things aren't lining up right. I think the fruit of the Spirit is a great measuring stick to measure myself against. Like the Bible tells me that with God, I should have peace that passes all understanding. That's the result of being in tune with God and right with God is a peace that passes all understanding. But how many of us at one point or another in our life as a believer, we found ourselves not having peace that passes all understanding? We know we should have it. We don't have it. So in, in order to get it right again, we have to recalibrate. We have to go back. And in order to recalibrate something, remember this. Calibration is correlating the readings of an instrument with a standard to ensure accuracy. So we are measuring against a standard to ensure accuracy. Uh, Brother David and I were talking this morning about um, what is a kilogram? What is a kilogram? Well, I think you go somewhere in the UK in some building in a vault somewhere, there, there is a kilogram, right? And that, that standard is what we measure all our instruments around the world to what a kilogram is. A kilogram is a measure of something and it has to start somewhere. So there is a particular weight that is a kilogram and we, we measure everything against it. Um, when I was in Fiji years ago, there was a man in our church, and he worked for the government for the Weights and Measures Department. And I said, what is your job of weights and measures? We go check everybody's scales to make sure they are accurate, that people aren't getting rip, ripped off. You understand just, just a, 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 a fraction of a kilogram on the scale over and over and over again over time can make you a lot of money, and you can cheat a lot of people. Um, but he said a lot of scales, they just go out because they've been used. They have to be recalibrated. What is the standard then? What is the standard? Certain things God says about himself, 
in Malachi 3 and verse 6, he said, For I am the Lord, I change not. So God is unchangeable. Nothing about God ever changes. Nothing changes. My seven-year-old son back home, little Jojo, my Fijian son, that boy brings me so much joy in so many ways because he thinks about things for a seven-year-old that I've never thought about. And I'm like, how did that even enter your brain? So I got home for a couple of days. We're sitting at the breakfast table, and Jojo said to me, he said, Dad, yeah, Jojo? He said, you know how God knows everything? And I said, yeah. No, 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 I mean like, you know God knows everything, so he never learns anything new? And I said, yeah. And that means God is never surprised by anything. And I said, that's right. And he goes, it must be really boring to be God. <laughs> and I thought about that for a minute. And, he, and I'm like, why would it be boring? He said, because you'd never see anything new, ever. Oh, that's, I don't think he's bored. But from my point of view, that's a, that's a good point, son. I'm going to have to go meditate on that for a while. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And because the Lord doesn't change, because Jesus Christ is always the same, he is that standard of, of, of against which I can measure myself for accuracy. Now me, I change all the time. I don't want to change, but I do. And sometimes it frustrates me that I've changed. Right? Why is my faith weak today? Has God not proved himself enough times over and over and over and over and over and over again? Why am I struggling to trust God with the promise that's here in his word? David understood the necessity of this idea of recalibrating. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139. And when David begins that psalm, the first part of Psalm 139, he says, God, you know everything about me. You know my, when I'm seated, you know when I rise up, you know every word before it enters my tongue. You know my thoughts before they've entered my mind. He said, Lord, you know everything. There's no place I can hide from you. There's no place I can go that you aren't there. And he's sort of magnifying God for how much God knows about David. Even when I was in my mother's womb, when I was being formed, you knew all the plans for my body and my making. And then when he gets down to the end of Psalm 139, in verse 23, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I always thought that was interesting. You know, he just got done saying, God, you know everything, everything about me, every detail. And then he invites God to search me and check and see if there's any wicked way in me. I'm like, well, well David, you just got done Worshiping God because he knows everything, now you're asking God to search you. Well, you do understand that God is not asking, David is not asking God to search him so that God can know what's in him. He's asking God to go with him on the search so that David could see what God could see about David. Now, it's interesting David didn't trust himself that he could know himself. David realized, 
I've made an assessment of myself, and maybe what he's saying is that at this point, I don't see any wicked way in me. I don't see any thought that is off, but God, I don't trust myself because my thoughts about myself is not the measure with which I measure myself. God says if you compare yourselves with one another, you're not wise. See, because if you calibrate to me, there is a chance that my calibration is off. And whether I know it today, at somewhere my calibration is off, otherwise I wouldn't need to pray today. Otherwise I wouldn't need to have any devotions today. Why read the Bible every day if I'm so confident that everything about me is right? Like you're not that good. You are not that good. Just humble, just lower your pride. You have to be recalibrated. If I didn't need it, I wouldn't read my Bible, I wouldn't pray. And by the way, those of you that struggle to read your Bible and pray every day, you have way too much confidence in yourself. The, the idea that you are not bothered by the fact that you could do everything in the world except spend time with God and think you're going to manage the day okay, that, that very thought is a huge problem in you. Because if you were calibrated correctly, like if your brain and if your mindset and your heart was right, you'd see in, in Proverbs 8 where he said, I sit daily at the gate of wisdom to hear her voice. Um, Daniel said, evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud to God. He's like, I don't even trust myself to make it to tomorrow's devotions. This constant need to recalibrate. Now, I look at people all the time, and I'm like, man, you are out to lunch. You are so far off right now, but can't have a conversation with you. Can't have a conversation with you because you're not measuring yourself against the standard. And since you're not measuring yourself against the standard, which is God himself, it's like talking to a brick wall sometimes. You measure yourself against God. There's a lot of humility when you measure yourself against God. Now, you're, you're, you're not mad at a compass that has to be recalibrated. But if you're going to be a pilot, you better figure out the time necessary. Man, I was thinking what that pilot in Kenya said. Put your plane facing the north line. Recalibrate it. Then go. Re you know, it's not easy to turn planes. I found that out when you drive them. Turn your plane, line up here. Calibrate it. Then go to the south. Then Do it again. Every month. You know what I found out about things that need to be recalibrated? Everything that has to be recalibrated has a process to go through to be recalibrated. It's going to know what you are calibrating it against, so you better have that or access to that. It's going to take some type of time involved. It's going to take some kind of assessment involved. It's probably going to take a little bit of money or to have a different kind of tool. So recalibration is a time, money, and energy investment. And those who don't go through it may get by for a while. You know, you might be off just a little bit right now. And since you're off by just a little bit right now, it, it doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal. Oh, yeah, nobody's perfect, you know. Yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not exact, right? You know, just give that puppy some time. Give that a little bit more time for it to get more off and more off. And probably if you're, if you're a person who neglects the recalibration of yourself, 
Do you know when you will finally want to recalibrate? You're, you're going to want to recalibrate when the damage of being off course is so severe. It, it's, it's like that car that finally got in an accident and said, what happened? Oh, the sensor was off by two degrees. Now I'm going to fix the sensor, and I'm going to fix the car, and I might be in the hospital, and all those things. You understand? The longer you neglect it, and see, fundamentalist-type people are really bad at this. I was preaching at a Bible college graduation in the Fiji Islands a number of years ago. It was always funny for me, a non-Bible college graduate, getting to speak at a commencement ceremony at a Bible college. And I listened to these young 21, 22-year-old young men that now had their degrees. And I listened to their speeches, and they went something like this. I want to thank God for my teachers and my professors who have taught me the doctrines of the Bible. And I'm telling you here and today that I am not going to change. I am going to be the same 40 years from now that I am right now. I'm not going to compromise my dog. I'm like, man, for a guy who doesn't know that much, those are some pretty bold statements. Let me tell you, I am recalibrating now more than I ever have in my life as a believer. I am less confident in myself now than I was when I was 22 and 23 years old. I, I'm learning that in, in order for me to, because as I read the Bible, I read some pretty amazing things in the Bible. Like, like I, when I look at the New Testament, New Testament Christianity, and I see it powerfully around the world, I'm looking at people who were extremely sensitive to the leading of the Holy Ghost, and they were led by the Spirit of God to be at the right place at the right time, and powerful things happen. So I look today, and I'm like, God, I don't see power being expressed in churches and in mission activity today like I read it in the Bible, and I'm not okay with it. Like, I'm, I'm not okay to just go, well, it's just not like the old days, you know, just hold the fort till Jesus comes. And if, if you sing that song, brother. <laughs> it's not okay. What happened? You, you, you take the fundamental Baptist movement as a whole. And you, you can go back and, and look in history where, where there were some fantastic things and then you zoom all these years down the road and I'm like, it's, it's a disaster out there. And what's happening? At some point, just a little bit off there and a little bit off there and a little bit off there. Lack of recalibration, lack of humility, lack of submission. And this doesn't just happen to a, a movement. It happens in a family. It happens in a marriage. It happens in, with your children. It happens with your job. It happens in a local church. It happens with mission activity that we do. You can get stuck in a rut. You can just, you can just assume, I'm okay. I'm doing the same things that I've always been doing. You can't trust yourself. You have to go to God. All kinds of looks in the Bible. I think about Elijah. What a, what a great man Elijah was. His faithfulness to God in that dark northern kingdom of Israel. It became so wicked under Ahab and Jezebel. So we find Elijah at one point just a, a, a man of faith. He's, he's hidden um, these, uh, these godly prophets in a cave and he's feeding them. 
And uh, he's being bold for God speaking truth to Ahab. Finds himself down at a river. I mean, fresh roast meat being dropped off him by ravens every morning. You, you do know that the ravens brought him cooked meat. You know why I know it was cooked meat? Because he also brought him bread. He didn't bring him flour. He brought him cooked bread. So he brought him cooked meat too. And you, you know where the raven was getting the meat and the bread? From Ahab's palace. Ahab was the only guy that had all that stuff. And man, those ravens flew in, picked it up, and dropped it off right at the river. When that all dried up, he went down to a widow. Then at a particular time, on God's time, he calls the prophets of Baal up on the mountain, challenges them to a uh, whose God is God. Being led by God, he prays that prayer and fire falls down from heaven. All those prophets of Baal are killed. The people cry out, the Lord, he is God. But you know, it's just like a chapter later. Like, like a chapter later that he is sitting under a juniper tree asking God to let him die. And then after that, he's being fed food by an angel and he's sleeping in a cave. You, you, if you look at the juniper tree to the cave, you know, you know where Elijah is at that point? I mean, that's depression. That's, just a, that's like a dark depression that has come all over him at that point. You, re you read what he says to God. You know, I've been jealous for the Lord God. I've done this, and, and this has happened. And, and there was the fire, and then there was the wind, and there was the earthquake. And, and finally, 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 in those dark moments, it's, Elijah began to, uh, again, listen to the still, small voice of God. Still, small voice of God. He needed to get out of that cave. He needed to get out of that darkness. He needed to get back to where God had him. He was a very powerful man. How did he end up there? Well, I mean, we can go analyze the whole thing, but at some, at some point, there were certain things in his mind. I think there was probably a certain expectation. I think that Elijah, when that fire came down from heaven, that that would have been the ultimate thing that would have, been, that would have proved to Ahab that the Lord, he is God. But it didn't bring revival to Ahab. It didn't bring uh, re redemption to Jezebel. Jezebel just puts a letter out the next day and says, whatever you've done to our prophets are going to be done to you. Maybe, maybe there was a bit of a disappointment that happened. Boy, when those disappointments happen, they can knock your alignment out really, really bad. You know, some kind of disappointment happens or, or, or some kind of expectation or, or something happens. And boy, when it, when it hits you, it knocks you off course and it gets you down and then your thinking gets wrong. How many of you would agree that thinking correctly is paramount to the Christian life? We have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's a recalibration. The brain is a fickle thing. We are easily influenced by um, circumstances in our life, experiences that we go through, words of other people. I mean, have you ever been just sailing right along and then, man, some words of some other people were said and bam, it's just something's happened to your spirit and something's happened to your direction and, man, you're, you're finding your way down again. Now, what I do in my own life, because I'll, I'll tell you, I have to get recalibrated all the time. I am, I am such a weak man that I can't hardly be trusted a day to stay calibrated correctly. The fruit of the Spirit 
for me personally is very important. Because you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. If you genuinely put those things up, when you are calibrated right to God, this is what His Spirit produces in you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a discipline. Right? You, you can't discipline any of those fruit. You can say, I'm not very loving, I'm going to work on it. No, it either grows or it doesn't. It's a fruit. It either grows on you or it doesn't. You don't tape fruit on a tree. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It either grows from it or it doesn't. So when, when I look at me and I'm like, you know what? I don't have gentleness in my spirit. So all it tells me is that I'm not calibrated right. If my car keeps going off to the right, I just know it needs to be aligned. I, st I stood on a scale the other day, and I looked down at it, and I'm going, this thing needs to be recalibrated right now. <laughs> I mean, this, whoever made this should be fired from their job right now. Take that back to the weight and measures department. So when, when things are off track, I'm not calibrated. Now, 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 there may have been a rock in the road. Okay, there may have been a rock in the road that you hit. And someone may have put the rock there. But if someone put that rock there, and they're wrong for putting the rock there, and you hit the rock, and it got you off calibration, you can be mad at the person who put the rock there. The reason I'm, I'm off is because you put the rock there in the road. Okay, maybe they did put the rock in the road, but you staying off course for the rest of your life is not a good way to handle that. I'm just always trying to pull out of this ditch. Why? Because like 20 years ago, there was a rock in the road, and my alignment got off, and I'm always over here in the ditch because of that rock. Well, how about you just go get a wheel alignment? Like, like you, there may have been things that affected you that got you off course. But you know what, you know what always puts you back on course? It's not going back and getting the rock out of the road. It's getting a wheel alignment. It's going back to the standard. It's going back to God. Every day of our life, the winds are going to blow. Adversity is going to come. Difficult, it's, just, it's never going to end. That's never going to stop. But you know what also never changes? My God never changes. So I get to go back to the standard. I get to go back and look at him with honesty and with integrity. And I get to view myself in the light of that God. And you know, the only one who can actually recalibrate me is God himself. It is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He works in me, him. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it. When? Until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. I never cease to need that working of God in me all the time, every day. And then, so what, what has to happen, I'll just say this very quickly, is that, that on a personal level, level, there has to be recalibration, but I would say on, on a collective level, 
Um, and one of the areas that I have a lot of passion about is looking at why, why the churches exist. Why did God make the church and the evangelizing of the world? And like, I can't, my soul can't rest in the fact that three billion people on this earth are going to live and die and never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not how God meant it to be. You know how I know that's not how God meant it to be? Because I started looking very carefully at what the Bible said. And so, for example, when the Bible said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature... And then I read in Colossians 1, and Paul says to the Colossians, the gospel has gone into all the world and has been preached to every creature which is under heaven. Oh, so when God gave the command, he expected it to be fulfilled. Because I don't think in our generation we expect it to be fulfilled. Somehow our mindset is, God, let's aim for it, but we'll never achieve it. Okay, that, now I'm not calibrated right. Like something's off in my thinking. And I know we're off because the job isn't getting done like I saw it done in the Bible. Do you know if you measure yourself against the Bible, you may not know how to get back to it, but you could probably admit I'm not there. We're always, we're always worried about the formula to get back to it. Hey, the formula is God himself, right? But part of our recognition is measurement against that standard. And there's been a lot of times I've just said, God, I am here. I know that I need to be there. I don't know how to get there. I don't want to be here. God, please take me back there. And sometimes the process of God taking me back there is like 27 calibrations of other things that I hadn't noticed yet. And what a beautiful, patient God who will take you on this journey if you're willing to go on it. Let go and measure against the Bible. All right, Father, thank you for the morning. And thank you, Father, for calling us back over and over again to be recalibrated. Not because we're in trouble, just by nature of everything we get off course. And God, I plead with you this morning that this week, all through these days, Lord, lift that standard and recalibrate us to you. I love you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.